for your great, 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 great to the 2000th power grandfather, almost nothing in the world was more important than being accepted by his fellow tribe members. Because of this, humans evolved an over-the-top obsession with what others thought of them, a craving for social approval and admiration, and a paralyzing fear of being disliked. Let's call that obsession a human social survival mammoth. We're all here in 2014, accompanied by a large, hungry, and easily freaked out woolly mammoth who still thinks it's 50,000 BC. That's from an article by Tim Urban on waitbutwhy.com called Taming the Mammoth, Why You Should Stop Caring What Other People Think. Welcome to Redeeming Disorder, the podcast where we share real stories of mental disorder to overcome stigma, redeem perceptions, and start a conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode nine in our first season of Redeeming Disorder. I'm so happy to have all of you, and I'm really excited for this podcast in particular because it is going to be a really good one. Today, we have David Wright on the podcast. He was a contestant on this past season of Survivor, and he actually brought his disorder of anxiety into the conversation of that season of Survivor by talking about it so openly on the show and really bringing his growth and his journey he went on into the narrative of the season. It was incredibly cool to watch. And whether or not you did watch it and you watched Survivor, his story is incredibly cool to hear. And we're going to get into all of it outside of Survivor as well as inside with childhood, his time leading up to the show, and his life in the couple months after, and the changes that he's seen in his life, which I found really inspiring. So really excited about this podcast, and it will be just me today. Last week, you heard just Laura on the podcast. So what we're doing as we move into the close of this season is we're each doing an interview on our own, and then next week, we're going to talk about those interviews and where we're at in this podcast to put a pin in it and do a little reflecting before we take a break before bringing you season two. And yes, there will be a season two. So we're super excited for that. We're also super excited for this interview you're about to hear right now. And let's get into it right now. All right. So we're joined today by a TV writer and a recent Survivor contestant. A lot of people saw him as a fan favorite. And what was so fascinating about this past season of Survivor is we really saw mental disorder, in particular anxiety, become a part of the narrative of the show. And it was largely thanks to this guy, David Wright. David talked very openly about his struggles with anxiety as he played Survivor from beginning to end. And he went through this incredible journey of change and growth over the course of the game as he took a ton of risks and sort of went from you know being scared of taking risks and of the game in the beginning to really being a threat in the game and getting really, really close to winning. So I'm thrilled to talk through all of that with him as he's here. Uh, David, how are you doing? 
I'm doing great, Spencer. Thanks so much. It's uh, my terrified pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to go through the same uh, growth narrative on this podcast? Where you're... <laughs> yeah, 39 days in, a, in, a, in a, about an hour and a half or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks also just for everything you said and did on Survivor. I thought it was so cool to watch and see... Um, that be a part of the show, this discussion of your very real raw emotions and fears and your struggle with anxiety. Uh, it was really cool to watch. I'd love to just start with the beginning of that journey of your struggles with anxiety and to sort of start at the beginning, both in the show and your experience with it, because in one of your early confessionals on the show, you said that you always had this intense fear of death. And as you put it, at some point, it morphed into a fear of life, which struck me. I'm just really curious. Uh, when did you start to notice that? It's amazing. I mean, since uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's like really, it really is a pleasure to be here, and, oh. and I love your podcast. And I think it's like just an important conversation that you're having. Um, and I think it makes like your listeners and anybody struggling with any kind of mental health issues at all feel a lot less alone. So you mm. should be proud of that. Oh, thanks. Um, as far as uh, yeah, as far as my fear of death, I mean, it literally was as soon as I could talk, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure exactly where that came from, but I was afraid. I would constantly be asking my parents, "Is this going to kill me? Am I going to die if I do this?" Just, even like, very... even as a toddler. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think I even heard you speak about this, where um, your parents' divorce affected you, yeah. and that was actually the case with me too, and it, it coincided with me. Well, it was as a result of the divorce because then my dad moved to a different part of town, and that's mm-hmm. I went I moved to a new school district, and the problem was I, I was living both with my mom and my dad, and I would move between the two houses every weekend, so I never really felt settled or safe, yeah, yeah. or like I had a home. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, and I I think that's that's when the anxiety started to increase, and then when it got really bad was about seventeen years ago, and I lost. Um, my best friend and, and my roommate to a car accident. Uh-huh. And that's when I started, uh, where the anxiety started to manifest itself in, in physically. And I would get, I had countless panic attacks, uh, some pretty epic. And I, I think unless you've mm-hmm. had a panic attack, it's hard to appreciate what that is. But once you've had one, you know you've had one. Yeah. And I mean, uh, there's so much to unpack there. Hannah on the same season you were on for those who don't watch survivor also you know she experienced a panic attack during a challenge and uh, i can definitely see that that it's something that's so hard to relate to but to get into all that you so it intensified in these incremental steps and i hadn't heard that you lost your friend in that way which is which is tragic is that you said that really added a physical element where the anxiety sort of went beyond just your head and spread you know through mind and body absolutely yeah i mean i remember the first time i had a panic attack i was just sitting on my couch and it just felt like my sense of self was just being ripped out of the top of my head and if Uh i didn't like hold on i was i mean i I, it it felt like i was going to die right Mm. um and you were just sitting on your couch there wasn't necessarily any impetus I think what it was at that time, it also it was a great, it was a terrible year for me. I, in addition, I had recently found myself unemployed, mm. and so I think, and it goes back to what we were, I think, talking about before we started, which is the the uncertainty of everything. Yeah. And I think 
uncertainty does really increase your anxiety. And especially for someone like me who wants to really be in control, when you feel like you don't have control over the, of those things, uh, then yeah, it, the panic attacks come. And unless you really take the steps to prevent that or deal with it, you know, they can only get worse. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree totally that I think uncertainty plays such a role in these conditions. And a lot of them do go back to how our relationship with uncertainty. Um, Stephen Fishback, another survivor alum actually recommended this book that I recently bought. It's called, um, freedom from obsessive compulsive disorder. And it's a guide to, it says on the cover living with uncertainty. And I oh, think, wow. yeah, I mean, I think with, uh, OCD or OCPD or anxiety, uh, many mental conditions can come back to that relationship with uncertainty. And so, I mean, it definitely rings true to me. And it also rings true to me that you said things got uh, heightened sort of as your parents divorced because I feel like that's such a source of uncertainty for a kid who doesn't really understand the concept yet of divorce. How old were you when, when that happened? I would have been six or seven. And yeah, for sure, uh, especially in my case, you know, my parents never fought once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it really came out of nowhere, you know, and I think that that only added to to my anxiety because it's like, well, that nothing, everything was going fine, at least from my kid perspective. Yeah. So it was just uh, yeah. totally unexplained. Exactly. Exactly. Did you yeah, deal with, and, I guess, the there's a stereotype that kids will think it's their fault. Did you deal with any sort of misappropriation of blame or what? You know, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm too big of a narcissist. I never actually thought it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was baffling to me and it did. Um, it definitely like took an emotional toll. And then to have to, um, you know, I would be with my dad for a week. And so I, I was like, that was the school district where I didn't really know anybody. I didn't have any mm-hmm. friends, but I, the friends that I grew up with, I had when I was at my mom's house for a week. And but it was just very fragmented, and you know, ultimately not not that great for my development. Yeah, for sure. And it's uh, yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's funny how you know the same thing can manifest in different ways. Like my first memory period is a screaming match between my parents when I was like three. So. I did have this sense that they that there was a lot of animosity and that it was not at all an amicable divorce. And so in a sense, maybe that even I there's a silver lining in that, that it gave an explanation. And I could say, you know, clearly they uh, they are fighting. There's a conflict between them. So maybe that helped wrap my head around it. Um, But I could see how, you know, if you don't have that tangible reason, especially in the black and white emotional brain of a young child uh yeah it it can manifest itself and plant any number of seeds like this growing uh issue with uncertainty yeah for sure um it's funny you say black and white i'm i'm i have since now i see a therapist once a week and Mm -hmm. uh, that that comes up a lot (laughs) oh yeah black and white thinking yeah yeah totally i mean yeah it's it's crazy and i've also sort of discovered stuff like this in therapy where um you talk about like an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control. And when you're young, you know, everything's external. You have no control over anything. And so these things that happen are very, uh, literally to you, black and white. And so a lot of those beliefs that are formed or black and white perspectives can definitely carry on. And I think that's the brunt of what I've dealt with, um, 
sense is looking back and thinking about those underlying beliefs that never really got addressed that are problematic. And I feel as if like a lot of people when they're struggling with something, it can go back to some of that core development of the emotional brain or in the limbic system that has just manifested itself in different ways. And you might not necessarily know what it was precisely that caused these symptoms years later. So when you, when you lost your friend, um, is that when the, the fears became more crippling or harder to, I guess, work through? Or did you, is that, was that sort of like a turning point in how you tried to cope? It definitely, uh, yeah, they definitely got worse then. I mean, I was already well on my way towards, uh, kind of avoiding living my life. In fact, you know, I, the trip that he went on and, and eventually died on, it was a trip to Mexico over Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he didn't even bother. We were like, the best of friends, but he didn't even bother inviting me because he knew I'd say no because I just, you know, I, I didn't like like uh, going out much or, yeah. you know, I was most comfortable in my apartment. And certainly when what happened to him happened to him, uh, that kind of only reinforced that. And, um, and so sort of, you know, going on Survivor was kind of a Hail Mary pass for me. You know, it's like, I, yeah. I'm 42 years old, you know, I got to... <laughs> I got to start living my life. Got, you know, it's just sort of a, a desperate attempt to like kind of kick myself in the butt and really start you know, being a little more active and living my life a lot yeah. more. Well, because that was going to be my next question, that it seems like such a stride to go from you know, being too worried to agree to go on a trip or just you know, on, your, on that path you described of not really living to applying for this insane reality show. And so it you saw it more as a Hail Mary, let me try and just break through my shell in one felt swoop rather than you had been making consistent progress? Yeah, I think, uh, and then, you know, I so I saw a therapist shortly after my friend died, and it was very expensive, but she was great, mm -hmm. but I couldn't really afford her. And then I stopped seeing a therapist, mm -hmm. and then um, I saw another one when I could afford with a, a simple $10 copay, but it wasn't a good therapist, and so... I had this really great experience yeah. and then this really bad experience. Um, I think people deal with that dilemma so much, um, not to interrupt, but I think that dilemma is really common of choosing between the cheaper therapist that isn't really your best fit, but your insurance you know, covers it or whatever the case is, and someone who's really your best fit. And I think that's a shame. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to find, I mean, I think finding a, a therapist that, yeah, you do click with, like maybe they'd be great with, for somebody else, but for you, maybe this person isn't right. Mm -hmm. Or the person who is, you know, it's, it's hard to find like that, that right fit. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, uh, so I did, I did feel like I needed, uh, to do something and, uh, and you know, a lot of my anxiety is related also to not feeling in control. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, flying is such a huge issue for me. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's the thing. I always sit in the same seat in the back of the plane. Um, and I, you know, the, the funny thing is going to Fiji when I was on the way there, I, I, I weirdly didn't have any anxiety because I think I felt like, well, this is a trip and an experience that I really need. And so I uh -huh. didn't, I felt like in a way I was in control, even though certainly if anything oh. happened to the plane, I could have done anything about it. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting and cool, though. And you were sort of on your way also to this experience that represents a release of control in a lot of ways. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you know, the funny thing is I actually thought that I would be a lot stronger than I was in terms of just like keeping myself together. And, and really, I feel 
feel somewhat protected by the edit because I cried almost every day oh. out there. You, you only saw it a couple of times, but yeah. it, was, it, it was so easy for me to cry out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to, I mean, we were going to get into that later, but since you mentioned it, the heightened emotions out there is something I totally experienced as well. And it sounds like you did too. Like I literally during Kageyan on day, I don't know what it was, 35 maybe, I was like about to freak out. I went into the woods far away. Somehow camera guys didn't follow me. I sat behind a tree and I cried for literally like three hours, just like yeah. bald. Did you like yeah, try and yeah. find some space or how did you, how did you deal with that? Uh, you know, it's funny. Like I, I tried not to cry in front of anybody like you. I mean, yeah. I, I was fine crying in confessionals and I, you know, a couple of times I'd be like, Oh God, please don't use this. I'm going to use this. Please don't use it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like that, that, that's the good thing about the confessionals with that experience is that you can let your guard down and obviously that makes great TV, but you do need that release. And, uh, and yeah, I I found, um, I felt, see for me, survivor kind of represents, um, it's kind of like cheating death. Like I'm, I'm, I I am terrified of death. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's like living out this fantasy in, in survivor, like the cheat death. And I felt kind of like you were saying, those amped up emotions, I felt like closer to who I think I am, my sense of self inside that game. And it was yeah. like all these things that, you know, I've kind of barrier that, that like give me anxiety were like really resonating in a large, loud way out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think with, uh, with survivor, you talk about being almost more your true self. I think of it as sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you, yeah. you know, in your life, you've, Obviously, you're a few steps up that hierarchy of needs. You've got food, water, shelter. You've got security, presumably an apartment wherever you live. You have some kind of social circle. You've got at least you know three rungs of that, but then you go on Survivor and get taken down all those rungs. And it seems like you almost get to like something truer by taking away, you know, everything that you've used to start on that journey. And it's yeah, I think one of the cool opportunities and maybe you, uh, you agree. Cause I mean, you ended the show talking about how you were ready for this dramatic change. I think one of the cool things it does is after taking away those needs, you then get to go back into your life and rebuild those needs in a new way if you want to and make different choices, even build new habits. I think, I think it's in some ways, if you make it like a, a reset. No, oh, I agree. Yeah. I actually, you know, I've, Survivor certainly isn't for everybody, but I actually had the thought that everybody should have to do it because I do think <laughs> that if you're if you're open to it, mm-hmm. you can end up in a better place um, than than where you started. And certainly, I think for people like like me and maybe you know this is true for you too. It's like um, if you do have any uncertainty or or any you know maybe there's self esteem issues or whatever. Like I think you are going to be more open towards becoming a better person on the outside if you go in thinking that you're already perfect, then mm-hmm. probably you're going to get to the end and nothing's going to be any different. <laughs> you're probably still going to think you're perfect. Right. But, right. uh, yeah, it, for me specifically, it, uh, it was like nothing really, but a positive experience. I, I did, you know, the, it, it sounds silly to talk about PTSD as it relates to that experience. Cause that, it, well, you it's can just, just make silly the S rather than, uh, you can make it post-traumatic survivor disorder instead. Yeah. Of, you know. There you go. <laughs> perfect. But yeah, I mean, I did uh, a couple times. Uh, there were a couple triggers, and I blew up on a couple friends, uh, and I've since apologized. But um, mm-hmm. you know, one of my friends stole food from another friend, and I just went off on him because oh, that, that was like, wow. yeah, 
that, very, that happened in the game. Yeah, yeah, a very core emotional issue. You saw uh, tails just standing in front of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, moment. exactly. And then another time a friend was, uh, I could tell they were lying to me, and it was completely within their right, and mm -hmm. I went off. And uh, But anyway, uh, overall, super positive experience, and I'm yeah. really glad that I did it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do relate in, in that I had similar issues after with like trust and was just distrustful of, of everyone. And so I think there is that, uh, unfortunate aspect that because it's such a malicious game or a manipulative game, you do get into some not productive habits, but I agree with you that the opportunity probably outweighs that in that you can, it does have this big potential for change. Um, yeah, for sure. But to get back into, you know, your going out to Survivor, did you feel, you know, you didn't, you somehow didn't feel anxious on that flight? What about when you were working to get onto Survivor? What about in casting? Were you very nervous about that process? Yes, I was extremely nervous. Um, in fact, I, you know, I've never, I've obviously, uh, I'm, I don't want to like take the position that no one should be on anti-anxiety medication because people mm -hmm. clearly need to be and mm -hmm. should be mm -hmm. if they need it. Um, right. for me, it, it makes me personally uncomfortable and especially because I tried it leading up to the casting because I was getting so nervous, uh, leading, going into like finals yeah. and I thought, well, yeah. I got to do something about this. And so I, I, I took some anti-anxiety medication. And it, the thing that it did for me, and maybe just the dose wasn't right, but uh, I, I just felt like it, it took away my sense of self. It just it just seemed to, like, numb everything. Zombie I'm like, you a well, little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a perfect word. That's what it felt like. I felt like, well, what happened to who I thought I was? That person's gone. <laughs> Um, yeah and yeah so the, the the definitely the casting process was the most anxious once i was on the plane uh before the game started uh i i was actually okay mm -hmm. once the game started it was a completely different issue right. but uh, yeah but i yeah. mean you really wanted this even though you were scared of it you it seems like you know the fact that you were comfortable on the plane almost shows that you knew it was what you needed to do i felt it too in that you know just for me one of my neuroses if if you want to call it that, is that I was so obsessed with Survivor and such a huge fan that I felt all that nervousness, maybe for a slightly different reason, but you know the same uh, the same concept that when I was in LA for finals every morning at 6 a.m. at exactly 6 a.m. I woke up, no alarm, just eyes completely open, bolted awake, and was just like felt fear and nervousness pouring through my body like oh my yeah. god i'm in la like on the brink of getting on survivor <laughs> or not this like yeah I... <laughs> oh god all of that i ran uh after i met jeff in finals cast, and, <laughs> and you know it's like a whole week-long sequester and everything yeah. that right literally the minute after i met him i went down to my gym time and i just ran <laughs> six miles straight <laughs> and i got back to my room and they called me to go upstairs and i thought they were calling me to get rid of me and I'm like, well, can I shower first? They're like, no, just come up. And I go up there, and everyone's there, and I'm soaked in sweat, you know, from running. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, it's I mean, <laughs> what a wild week. And that uh, just the way it's done, where you go to those interviews and you just wait for the phone to ring to take you to wherever it is, psych testing or meeting yeah. or whatever and you're just like sitting in your room and then all of a sudden the ring of the phone <laughs> oh my god it's the way you're, you're giving me like I, I, you're taking me back right now yeah <laughs> I, that was a year ago <laughs> one of the uh when i was in when i was in finals this guy who i don't think is there anymore he called me one of the mornings and it's like he was like um you can pack your bags you're unfortunately going home and i was like what oh my Why? god 
And he was like, I'm just fucking with you. Go down to breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) It was so below the belt. Yeah, that is. That is not cool. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, what a, what a week. So then you go through finals, you finally are able to get on the show and you know, the nervousness went away on that flight. Did it come back like right before the game? It, it, well, uh, you know, so there's all those other things a little bit because, you know, there was a, a swim test, which, um, right. I thought that like, first of all, I is, is pretty evident. I can't really swim that well. And when mm-hmm. I, when they, they told us the day before there was going to be a swim test, you got better. Though, and so right? I got a little better and, um, I still, you know, put me in a pool. I, I might be able to make it to the other side, <laughs> um, but probably not. I actually took lessons, you know, before the game started, uh-huh, but it, they, right. they didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, uh, the, the swim test was like a big source of anxiety? Yeah, because I thought, oh, they're going to see how how poorly I swim and mm-hmm. they're going to tell me, oh, it, it's going to be your alternate instead. It, in reality, which I didn't appreciate then, they, it doesn't matter if you can swim or not. You know, they don't mm-hmm. care. Right. Yeah. So it's <laughs> they just not... want to know. What you... Right. But, um, but yeah, then, uh, you know, I started definitely the pregame affected my game because mm-hmm. I started, I did start to get anxious hanging out with those people. Cause as you know, you can't talk to anybody for right. Like right. seven to 10 days. Yep. And uh, you're trying to, like, establish these relationships with your eyes and with your smile. Yeah. Um, and it's very weird and awkward. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I de- that's that was – then the anxiety started to creep back in. And I was – my mind was racing. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, – I had a little notebook and I was writing down notes on everybody <laughs> and staying up late with my, in my tent with my little lamp and kept <laughs> getting dimmer with each night. Analyzing uh, everyone. Did you have like nicknames and acronyms and everything? Oh my god! Yeah, everybody had a nickname. <laughs> yeah, um, that's funny. That's uh, I I can definitely see how the pregame would just drive you nuts with your mind just going insane, monkey mind all over the place. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, I was like imagining, okay, who am I going to align with now? Who's likely to align? Mm-hmm. Who do I have to worry about? I mean, just it's it's just so much time to just think about this game that's about to happen. And of course they never tell you when it's going to start. So my mind was just constantly racing about it. And then Jeff, when you're on the beach says, welcome to survivor. And so, you know, early on the first episode, it, it featured, you know, you were really enthusiastic about the game. You had this early conversation with, I think it was Brett and Chris where they sort of portrayed you as, as like nervous, um, did that was there like a point where that came on or could you take us through like the emotions of the game starting? Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> you know, first of all it's um we didn't find out that the game was starting really until some hours before it started and uh yeah, we're finally we're on these boats and we beach and yeah, it's like you go up and there's Jeff arms akimbo and uh I w- I was really happy because I I predicted what the theme was I, i'd figured that out in advance wow. and when nice. and when he said it i was like oh this is great i got it right <laughs> um but uh so that felt good and, and then that was part of the reason like you know all the thinking i did beforehand i wanted to try to know as much as i could because it's it's it goes back to the uncertainty it's the not mm-hmm. knowing is when you really get anxious and i thought if i knew a little bit more uh i'd be less anxious but then yeah right. so then the the challenge or you know we have to grab uh, all these supplies and that's when i'm like 10 seconds into that i'm running up the beach I'm, and i'm like oh my god i'm on survivor like i started to have that thought and i yeah like my breathing like i, I was like losing uh, i thought i was gonna pass out mm-hmm. um and then oh, go ahead you're gonna well i was just gonna say yeah I, I you know along with that 
thread of uncertainty being tied to this uh, this anxiety. Um, it I think it kind of speaks to how external forces seem like they have so much power over us sometimes when we're struggling with something like you're. Be- the game hasn't started and you don't know what's going to happen. So there's so much you don't know. And it feels like that is like putting you into this state of anxiety. And then the game starts and you do get a little information, but there's still stuff you don't know. So it seems as if, you know, it's all relative and there is always something you don't know. And it almost depends as much on your perspective where it's, it's kind of your perspective you take on what you don't know that can have a lot of power over how anxious you are about it. I completely agree. And I think that, you know, from my perspective, I, I felt like I was the only one that really seemed uh, at all anxious. And I'm sure everybody probably had a lot of anxiety. Yeah, um, hit it well. And I think yeah, they were very good at hiding it. Me, I couldn't help but wear it on my sleeve. And mm-hmm. because I am usually at kind of a around an eight or a nine of anxiety just <laughs> in my regular life when mm-hmm. a bird would run up to me or, you know, there were so many animals out there. I was I was like screaming and I was like, the first day, you know, yeah, and I, yeah. I, everyone saw that. So, well, my girlfriend it, would it, agree with you on the birds. She has a chronic phobia of birds and would be, well, they're wondering. dinosaurs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the closest relative, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, yeah. So did it, did it just keep going with that, uh, theme of uncertainty sort of <clears throat> dictating when you felt anxious? Cause I mean, if that's the case, Survivor, I imagine there are going to be so many situations that just put you almost above a 10 on that scale of anxiety. You know, when you're like holding your torch, walking into tribal council, knowing you might not know what's going on. Is oh, that yeah. sort of how it flowed for you? For sure. I mean, you could have put wings on me. I probably could have flown off that <laughs> island by myself. Yeah, I, my paranoia related to all that was just off the charts. And you start... Uh, seeing kind of like ghosts in the game you know you think things that are happening that really aren't um and and you're trying to read into every little Mm. bit of information that you think you have or every little tiny like nuance that you see so you know and uh and yeah that that just really fueled my paranoia to the point where i was acting out in a bit and and going out and searching for the hidden immunity idol in front Mm -hmm. of everybody right because i thought i'm going home anyway what's i have nothing to lose (laughs) right yeah and i think it's easier when you're feeling all that i think it can like sort of take a load off to have a task to do or to feel like okay well i am actively working toward bettering my situation by looking for this idol um yeah it's i mean i can't i can only imagine what you were feeling i know i felt it just unreal uncertainty and the prospect of doing nothing in the face of all of that uh is is not very appealing oh uh, no yeah certainly not yeah you feel you feel kind of powerless intellectually i knew because i was such a huge survivor fan i knew everything i was doing was mm-hmm. the exact opposite of what someone should be doing if they're going to play the game successfully but you get out there and you just can't help it but then it seemed like something changed i mean you went to tribal council and you were playing <clears throat> idols for jessica and clearly not just uh sitting and letting the anxiety consume you i mean you were taking action did something did a switch flip or was it just uh fighting through those feelings that were always there yeah it was a number of things i mean certainly i was fighting through the feelings because i I felt like you know this is the it really is playing that game is the biggest dream i've ever had and Mm -hmm. if i am indeed going to go out i'm going to go out swinging and and in that, in combination with the fact that I really did develop a strong bond with Ken, he was the, mm-hmm. he's truly the only person I trusted in the game, 100%. Yeah. You saw how that went for me, but right. but I really did. Um, 
having his trust, finding the idol, and then also, you know, the cyclone came, and mm-hmm. we were evacuated, and when we got evacuated, I was pretty much at my height in terms of my paranoia and my wow. anxiety, yeah. and then we got evacuated, and... Was that about the prospect of, of death? Well, it's funny, uh, not funny, but when we were being loaded onto the boat, I actually did think that those boats were not going to make it to wherever they were going. Oh, we had gosh. no idea where they were going. I thought yeah. because of the winds and the water. And of course, you know, I thought, well, if I end up in the water, I'm, I'm, I'm not swimming to shore. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, little, I mean, it's, it's hard enough in a pool, but if you're in a choppy, crazy ocean, I mean, that's yeah. a whole different game. Exactly. Yeah. And I had the thought, I'm like, wow, I'm going to die on day two because I wanted to play this silly game. <laughs> um, but what the, when I when we did finally get to safety, um, there was a, there was a pause in the game, and that gave me a chance to just calm down and collect mm-hmm. myself. Nice. And uh, without that, I don't I don't know that I would have made it as far as I did. Yeah, I mean that's that's really cool. So then you went back in, and it uh, I guess that is sort of like a switch flipping. And even if you even if you did feel that stuff, uh, I was impressed just by how you were able to fight through it where I feel like with a lot of people who have different conditions, it's not always about the feelings never going to go completely away or at least not in the short term. And so a lot of the battle is learning to do what you know you need to do despite the feeling, which I, I guess is what you did just by being on that show in the first place. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You brought up that the book that you uh, referenced earlier mm-hmm. <clears throat> with OCD and I, I had actually, because I was nervous about what was going to happen to me out there. I would, I'd hoped I'd be really strong, but I was still obviously very nervous. Mm-hmm. And so a book I bought was called Embracing the Fear. And it's kind of, it's like, yeah, you can't, the fear is always going to be there on some level, but you can either um, try to keep like fighting it and, and not not so much fighting, but pretend it doesn't, that it's not there and then hoping that it'll go away. Or mm-hmm. you can just accept that you are going to have this fear and then yes, just push, go on forward anyway yeah. through it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that it's kind of exactly what you're saying. Cool. Yeah, you can be Batman in the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, A very tiny Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, we don't have to get into every moment of Survivor. You know, you've been on Survivor podcasts, but I just want to say it was really cool seeing that on the show. I do think it came through that you were still feeling this stuff, but you really went through it and played the way you would have wanted to regardless and obviously you did extremely well and almost won getting voted out by Ken um, at the final four just one step away from the end for those of you who who don't watch Survivor and in your exit interviews one thing that I read is that you actually had this sense of relief that you didn't win that you made it all the way close to the end and then got voted out but you walked away not with a million dollars but with this growth and so what was how would you sum up the growth that you were so excited about that you thought was worth more than a million dollars yeah i felt like um you know by the time i got to the end of that game or at least the end for me uh i I did feel like there was a real transformation i felt um like really motivated to start living my life more and um i had all these plans and ideas about that and so Mm -hmm. i felt like you said in your final tribal council speech that uh you were ready to go home uh you were going to go home ready for a revolution yeah and and that's it's the truth and i i felt like if 
I had one, throwing a million dollars on top of that might have undermined that on some level or done damage to it. Mm -hmm. And so I really, I felt like I got everything I wanted out of the experience. I didn't get the million, but I got much more than that, and it's worth much more than that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, uh, I'm now, I, you know, I've, I've got, yeah, I, I got back, I, when I first got back, I was kind of walking around in a daze, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, then I, I, I really was in a good place. But then, of course, the broadcast was impending and mm -hmm. that then the anxiety started to creep back in. But yeah. now, um, having gotten through all that and been being having you know, been able to put like a little pin mm -hmm. or wrap a little bow around the experience, <laughs> I, I am like this whole year. Is, I'm so excited. Like I've got all these trips planned. And getting on a plane for most people is not a big deal. For me, it's a gigantic deal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to Colorado. I'm going to the uh, Sundance Film Festival, and um, that's yeah, awesome. I, I would, yeah, and I'd like to go to Iceland. That's a trip I'm trying to wow, plan. Wow, that's really cool. For that's this a, year, uh, I know you play chess. Iceland has the most chess players per capita. Oh well, they'll beat my butt. I promise <laughs> you that. <laughs> it, it, and that's the thing about you know wanting to live my life rather than just kind of hide out in my apartment, which is uh, a pretty easy thing for me to do. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, there's so often that you have the choice between an easy thing that might be gratifying in the short term versus a hard thing that will be fulfilling. And so it sounds like you really have a lot of chances and you're taking them to, to do things that might feel hard, but I'm sure, you know, you're not going to regret for a second taking those, you know, trips and adventures. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, and I'm dating more. That was something I had kind of stopped nice. doing. And then, Not, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. So it's been really good. Um, yeah, I, that was it, I said it on the island. I don't think it made it to the air. But yeah, the thought I had out there was like, how did I get to be 42 years old where all my peers, they're married, they have kids, they have families. And, you know, those are things that I want. So, yeah, mm -hmm. this I've really been making a push to make something like that happen for myself. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it does. I, I can see, I have to admit, I didn't feel this way when I failed to win Survivor, but I can see how you, um, how you felt like you got more out of it than you would have even from winning where all that personal change can, can go a longer way. I mean, and that actually does ring true to me because I think with anything in life, we have this principle that, you know, you, you want a good amount of it, but past a certain point, it's marginal benefit is going to go down, you know, and you feel that way with, with food, with collections of things, with, you know, having a nice place. And for some reason, people, I feel like forget that with money where they feel like, um, Oh, it's just like, it's, it's exponential, you know, more money equals more happiness forever. But I do feel as if past a certain point, there are more valuable things. And it sounds like that growth that you found is, I mean, just from my, um, youthful 24 year old perspective, um, we're getting into like, life philosophy territory, which I'm probably not, you know, I don't have as much to speak to as a 42 year old, but I think it, it sounds like that is, uh, that, that rings true that that would be more valuable. Well, believe me, you're a lot more mature, I think, than I am now and certainly much more mature than I was at your <laughs> certainly, age. Certainly, so you're certainly fine. True. I, <laughs> so I was going to ask what you meant by revolution, but you really got into that. So when you, when you got back, you feel like you've personally changed so much and now you have this perspective where you've been through a ton and have come a long way and you can look back on those types of feelings. Do you feel like you got a perspective on the things you used to struggle with? Or like, for instance, when Ken obviously was very upset after losing the game, are you able to sort of comfort him or get inside his head or have a good perspective on that sort of a feeling? 
Yeah, I mean, I've tried, uh, you know, I, I, I live in this ridiculous fantasy world where I, I want every one of us uh, from my season to still be in each other's lives. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, the way I put it, I had it like, um, you know, it was this dream I had where I met all these really interesting people. And I, I felt like kind of like Dorothy where I woke up and I kind of wanted them to all still be there. But of course, <laughs> that, that is just a fantasy because it's already, you know. Uh, and, not, and with no animosity between anybody, just it's just natural that all these, these this collection of personalities isn't all going to jibe or want right. to be in each right. other's lives forever. Right. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I uh, before the the season even aired, I, I I just suggested to everybody like let's all just forgive each other in advance for anything we're about <laughs> to see. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I've definitely gotten uh, a much better perspective. I, I think part of it is the experience itself. And and the fact that it aired, it was is very liberating for me because I I had tried for so long, most of my life, to hide my insecurities, to hide mm-hmm. my flaws, and to hide really you know who I am. Yeah. And now that it's out there, it's like well, there's no point in hiding it anymore. Everybody right. knows, and I feel it sounds like freeing. It's totally freeing, and it's and it's only boosted my self confidence. Even though it's like now I'm wearing on my sleeves these kinds of you know what some people might think are negative things, but I, I'm just sort of like, well, this is who I am and, yeah. I'm, and I'm more accepting of that. Yeah. I mean, when you, t- when you, uh, when you talk about the old black and white perspectives that you might still have from when you're young, this is one huge nugget of evidence to show any part of you that still thinks, Oh, if I open up, then I'll be crushed and everyone will hate me. It shows that part of you. Look, you opened up in a huge way. People really liked you and I imagine that's just like on a subconscious level and on a conscious level, huge for your psyche. Oh, in- incredibly huge. And, and, you know, and going in, I'd never, ever planned to like show that much vulner- vulnerability is quite the opposite. But the yeah. fact that it came out and, and in the way it did and, and to not have people run in the other direction <laughs> away from me. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been nothing but good. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, I recently read this article, uh, which I really liked, and that I'm going to post in the show notes of this. But it talks about basically how we deal with the issue of worrying so much about what people think of us, and it has this elaborate metaphor that it plays out through the article of a mammoth, and it says this mammoth represents like that part of you that is so worried about what people think of you. And it's evolutionary where, you know, we lived in literal tribes, not survivor tribes for a long time as humans, 50, 100,000, I'm not sure how long ago, but um, many years ago. And it was actually vitally important that we stressed the hell out about what every person thought of us because if, (laughs) you know, someone in power or other people in the tribe really didn't like us and you get abandoned, you're going to die. So it's like we're stuck with this ancient prehistoric survival instinct that was appropriate for a while and now is just very limiting and not that appropriate because in today's world if the guy you see on the street doesn't like you it it doesn't matter at all it it matters zero and yet we worry about that stuff (laughs) yeah no absolutely and yeah had i been around those uh those prehistoric times for sure i'm getting kicked out of the tribe (laughs) (laughs) well the point is you might not because you you worry so much that you are going to be able to not uh, not rub people the wrong way because you're worrying about what they think. And your ancestors clearly, you know, made it. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, 
I would, I would, I would bet on you if you were in the ancient prehistoric tribe. But oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> cut, cut to uh, us just sitting next to each other on a rock away from the village. Caveman David and Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we were wrong. A tribe of two. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that article is by Tim Urban. It's on this site, Wait But Why, and I thought it was a awesome read, which, again, I will put down in the show notes. But, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, is that, would you say that's the most dramatic change that you found was getting a little freedom in regards to caring what people think about you and getting some ability to be genuine and, and not worry about people running the other way? Or would you say that something else was the even a more valuable change for you? I mean, I think the, the biggest things are caring less what people think about me, the, the self-confidence, you know, higher, much higher self-esteem and just, just acceptance, like self-acceptance mm-hmm. about who I am, what my flaws are, what my, what my strengths are, weaknesses, and just accepting of all of it. And then yeah. just going forward, still trying to, you know, better myself. I, I want to be a better person each day than I was the day before. But mm-hmm. um, I now don't look at where I'm at now as being such a terrible thing. Nice. Yeah. And I also wanted to ask you being accepting, I'm sure goes a long way, but how have your coping strategies changed or how has your relationship when you do find that you have some anxiety or these worries come up, how do you relate to them now differently than before? Well, I mean, you know, I, I was shocked that I didn't have uh, in the last say month, um, like I haven't had any panic attacks uh, in the in the last month, and nice. I and I feel, um, I think right now I'm in a place where I just feel incredibly optimistic, and I feel like I do have a game plan, and that gives me a sense of control. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's helped me we cope with the anxiety, and uh, you know, ask me in a year if I've made none of these things happen, <laughs> and then you know, then I'm sure it'll creep back in, and I'll feel powerless again, but. Um, it's just about kind of, you know, every day I'm just trying to wake up and just make something happen for myself positive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and also this is going to sound silly, but, um, exercise is, is super helpful in terms of dealing with my anxiety. We mentioned that a few times, just how it can benefit. I think we were talking more about depression, but so that's really helped you with anxiety too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel I, you know, when I'm at my best and this, I was at my best, um, physically or exercise wise, like shortly before survivor, but mm. I was running like five, six miles uh, a day, like six days a week. And I would just feel great. <laughs> nice. So your peak was right about on that treadmill after you, uh, after you got out of the interview with, with Jeff and everyone at finals. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You mentioned the most important changes for you in your outside life. What would you say was the biggest moment for you in the game? I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me was that reward where you volunteered sort of to sit out because you didn't want people to be disappointed in you having contributed to a loss in this challenge. And everyone around you was just so encouraging and rallied behind you and said, you know, you should play. And you had a lot of those powerful moments. And I was wondering, is there any one that stands out among the others? I mean, I would say that when you cited for sure, because, you know, in a game where you can't trust anyone to feel really the love and support that they were giving me in that mm-hmm. moment, and it did feel genuine, I'm sure, you know, for them, I'm sure there's also a bit of game play to it as sure. well. How but could you, it could, not be? you but, could sense, you know, there is a difference between 
something inauthentic done for gameplay and when it is actually authentic. And I'm sure you could feel some of that. Absolutely. And I, I totally felt it. And that's why I was really, um, I feel really grateful to be, to be surrounded by the people that I was surrounded by, because I think they, you know, are, are all really good people and they have good hearts. And I don't think there were really any, um, say villains, uh, mm-hmm. in, in that group. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, uh, Hannah dealt with her anxiety when Jessica went home due to rocks for her. And mm-hmm. Sunday, I remember comforting Hannah, and it was oh. not about gameplay at all. She just really wanted to help her. Sunday and seems like she, such a sweetheart. She's so super sweet. I love Sunday so much. She she did trick me onto a roller coaster recently, but uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> really? that's okay. Wow, <laughs> duplicitous Sunday. Her. We never saw that side of her. But um, yeah, Marcella loves Sunday because Sunday's from Minnesota, like uh, oh, like Marcella right. is, and. And Marcella Fantastic. has a running theory that people are nicer nowhere than in Minnesota. So, yeah, it, it could be true. <laughs> it, it's definitely possible. But I, I loved seeing, I mean, that rang true for me watching your season, that everyone seemed really positive and supportive of each other, and it's really cool to watch. I think, I mean, people watch Survivor for different reasons, but I don't necessarily watch it for the ugly blow-ups that you might have seen in, like, Worlds Apart Season 30, for example. Um, yeah. When you had these uh, just really vitriolic fights, I watch it for other reasons, and it was cool to see your season. It was really, you know, the type of season that I got really into. Yeah, there are definitely some seasons in the past where it just got really ugly and personal, and not about the game at all, and yeah. just kind of very dark. But yeah, I uh, I, I agree. That's I love. I part that was during the season. I was thinking, am I really on Survivor? Because <laughs> these people seem too nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, um, that's, it was, it was again, like really cool to watch and really cool to see how that kind of environment was conducive to you making all these strides. And we've talked about everything that changed and grew for you emotionally and on the inside. And you mentioned, you know, you have these travel plans, but I'm wondering also about what has, if anything has shifted in your life as far as your day to day, like has your writing changed, you know, with regard to if you had any anxiety come into that or just socializing in general, have you, have you noticed any real uh, tangible changes in your day to day life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm going out a lot more. I'm socializing a lot more. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, you know, doing things that in the past would make me uncomfortable. And to be honest, still kind of make me uncomfortable, but I'm still right. doing them. <laughs> but you feel it and go, go through with it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, mean, I went to like a dance class. I'm going to another one uh, <laughs> oh, That's in so a week. funny. I just, just yeah, signed up for the same thing, dance classes, and I'm utterly terrified. <laughs> oh, yeah, and because it's, it's a terrifying thing. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a good thing, and it's good to push yourself that way. Nice. And um, yeah, and, and in terms of the writing, um, having gone through this experience, I'm in, I, you know, it's always been kind of on my bucket list to uh, to like write a novel. And I know it sounds silly; yeah. that's like everybody's dream to one day write a novel. <laughs> but I, I'm making a real push this year. Um, I've signed up for a class; it's a novel writing class. Because I mm-hmm. I know plenty about TV writing; I don't know a ton about novel writing. Um, yeah, but I'd like yeah. to write one, and I don't know about what, but that's... I'm excited for that. Yeah, I mean, that's it's awesome to hear about everything that has happened for you. I'm really happy for you. And um, as I said before at the top of this, you're doing great work with this podcast. I think it's so awesome that you're putting your time towards something so positive. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's crazy, like, just uh, it, 
it is really rewarding to see, you know, emails come in from people like so many people. And I do think there's like an intersection between the survivor audience and people who, you know, would enjoy this type of podcast where people often watch survivor and they're looking for a human connection. They might have something weighing on them and survivor can be almost therapeutic in certain ways. And I feel like, uh, I just, whenever I get emails from people who might've discovered it through the survivor thing, um, or, or otherwise, but people who email and say that this has really helped them, it's, it's super rewarding and motivating. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think there is, uh, people do, they will go. They look at Survivor for for those connections. I mean, ultimately, I guess as human beings, we're all looking for some connection, yeah, right? Wherever we get yeah, it from, right? Yeah, I mean, you could uh, you could deconstruct a, a huge number of things we do, probably to to seeking connections. Um, yeah, but I guess to close it out, if we want to just look toward the future, I'm kind of curious. After making all these strides, are you still? Are there still things you're hoping you can continue to improve in, or that you're looking for personal growth in? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I well, I want to start a family, and if I do, like my my main goal would be to not pass any of this down, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Sure. To not teach it and not show yeah, that yeah. fear, because I think a lot of it can be taught. Um, Absolutely. And. Yeah, I mean, we've so, talked about the nature versus nurture thing a few times on on the podcast, and I think it's it's huge how you know if if someone doesn't sort of take it into their own hands and remedy these things, it does seem like you often see it going down through the generations. Yeah, and I think if you're not careful, you can be teaching it without even realizing that you're mm-hmm. teaching it. Sure. Uh, and I yeah, I was talking to Hannah you know, a week ago, so I'm like Hannah, like just let's you know we're, we're not I'm, we're not getting married her and I, but I mean <laughs> it, I was just telling her that for when we do and have families, like let's just. It ends with us. Like, we're going to not teach it. <laughs> that's uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, so I that's mean, that's one goal. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's cool and admirable. I think, like, you've won half the battle. And, again, this is, like, the 24-year-old talking about stuff that he probably knows nothing about. But it seems like a lot of parenting is, like, knowing yourself and seeing this stuff in yourself and then doing the right thing despite your personal wounds, not letting those wounds, like, seep into everything you do. Uh, yeah. So just like that self-awareness, I feel like probably will go a long way. I think, I hope so. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, what about just regarding the stuff we talk about on this podcast in general? Like, do you have anything you want to see change in society or in psychiatry or just in general surrounding mental disorder? I know you mentioned the difficulty sometimes with therapy. Uh, is there anything like that that you would like to see in the world? Well, I mean, really, the message that your podcast has is so perfect. The the fact that people should feel comfortable being able to talk about any mental health issues that they have, that it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be this thing that they should carry around and be ashamed of and Mm -hmm. and not able to talk about and find support for. Um, So mainly, I think, like, well, like what you're doing here, the work you're doing here, uh, however many people you're reaching, I think it's, it's, it makes, it's, it's all about acceptance. And I think that yeah, it's. I think I've even heard you talk about this in the podcast too. Right. You know, you could have like a something physically wrong with you, and people totally get it. But if it's anything <laughs> right. that they can't see, it's just like what? What? What are you talking you about? You don't and have that automatic away. validation that you would have for you know the physical thing necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I I also really am hoping to see people find that attitude shift where, you know, we call this redeeming disorder, not because we need to redeem those who have disorders, but because we we want to actually redeem the perception of disorder and redeem how society sort of like casts it as, 
these people who have these weird things that are different from what you have. And it's very dissociating and very limiting and boxing people in. And yeah, like we don't have a huge audience. It's not survivors, 10 million. It's a, a couple thousand, but it is that's a, still, that's a large audience. It's, yeah. it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's, I'm happy with it. I'm, it's larger than I thought it would be initially. And it's super rewarding when we get, you know, any feedback or people saying that it's helped them because really that's the mission. It's not, um, we don't pretend to be experts or to have all the answers. We're not going to tell you what medication to go on. And, and, you know, like you said, medication isn't for everyone. I kind of share the same view that it's not for me, but we're, we want to support people to do what's right for them, but also just be an outlet and a place where people can hear someone who's been through something similar to them and feel less alone and connected to them because I feel as if that's one area where we're kind of lacking, where it's hard for someone who struggles with this stuff in the dark to feel connected to someone in a culture where no one has that freedom to say, hey, I do struggle with this like you did. And I I feel like people doing what you did on Survivor is, is what I hope to see more of in the world. Having gone through this experience, I realize that it's it's much better to wear your vulnerability on your sleeve than it is to hide it from the world because yeah. there are far more people like you than, than people who aren't, I think. Absolutely. And it's easy to get an idea that there aren't so many people like you, but you just have to trust you know, you're human just like everyone else. And whatever you're dealing with, it is a result of your experiences, the sum of your experiences through your life. It's you're not abnormal. There's nothing defunct in you. Yeah, I agree. That, yeah, that's a good message to get out there. So, yeah, I mean, and if you don't have anything else you are burning to share, this was this was great. Yeah, no, this was fantastic. I really appreciate you having me on. It was so great talking to you. And, uh, you know, this is it's I, to be honest, I, I was the most nervous about this particular podcast because <laughs> it is so much more revealing. But uh, yeah. but it's but it's so positive and it's a good thing. So I'm glad I'm glad I was able to to talk to you here if people want to reach you should they tweet you or do you have a preferred way oh yeah i mean they're uh they're welcome to tweet at me although i think if, if they needed to send me a direct message i think probably the easiest way is through uh instagram and i hate my handle i only did this because <laughs> there are so many david Wrights and dave Wrights. so <laughs> oh, i don't know your handle so i'm i'm getting ready for this yeah well it's just it's just real dave Wright. but oh, I, okay. i'm no i'm that's, no that's more not bad. real than there, any there's nothing wrong well, with that it just made, I wish it was a real Dave Wright because then it's like, oh, I'm just one of many real Dave Wrights. But I it makes see, me sound yeah. like I'm the definitive Dave Wright. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they can, uh, Instagram is great. And actually, some people have reached out to me with their own anxiety issues. And uh, I'm, I'm awesome. glad that they still got something out of watching me. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I mean, I'm sure you felt like I did just how rewarding it is to have, you know, when your vulnerability touches someone else and makes them feel better, you realize it's worth it. Totally worth it, and you're not alone. And yeah, it's it's. A, I I love that message. So yeah, anybody's more than welcome to reach out. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thanks so much, David. We will uh, talk to you later. All right. Thanks a lot, Spencer. So what an interview that was with David. I texted him right after we got off the call, and just said I thought that was one of our best interviews, and I meant it because David was just as open with me on this podcast as he was throughout the show of Survivor, and I think that openness is so inviting and I hope reassuring to those of you out there who might struggle with anxiety, might feel the same way David does about social interactions, expanding your comfort zone, trying things that 
might have a little risk involved with them. I know I related to so much of what he said and got so much out of all of it. So I hope you did too. And um, it's a little bittersweet because we are getting right to the end of this season. Next week is going to be our last episode of this first season of Redeeming Disorder. And I am thrilled to say that we're going to have, as a guest on that last episode, my sister. My sister Taryn has dealt with her own issues around anxiety, around depression, and around the way that we both grew up. And so it's going to be an interesting experience having a family member on here to talk with me and to hear from from her point of view a lot of things that I might have been around for, but that I didn't understand the way she understood it. And I'm very excited for that. And also very excited just to have Taryn with us as we look back on this season. We're going to take some listener questions. And so if you have a question that you would like us to address as we get to the close of this season, please let us know. Please either go on to redeemingdisorder.wordpress.com, contact us through there and let us know, or tweet us and let us know what you would like answered. If you have any comments about the direction of the podcast, we're going to do a little reflecting before we get into season two in the spring. Or if you just have any uh, questions about anything, just shoot them our way. And we're really excited to get into them and put a cap on what's been an awesome experience having this relationship with you all and having this podcast with you all. Um, I've It's awakened so much passion in me just doing this every week and bringing you these messages and hearing from you. I can't tell you how rewarding it is for me to hear from you, to see your emails and to hear that this has been helpful for people because while we can't tell you what prescription to go on or give you professional psychiatric advice, although we've had some professionals on as guests, despite how much we can't do, what we can do and what I want to keep doing is making this space for people to come and freely talk about these issues that are so seldom talked about. And it means the world to me that you all have appreciated it and that you keep listening. Thank you so much. If you can continue to share the podcast, subscribe if you haven't, give us a rating if you haven't. I so appreciate that. And we will talk to you next week.